This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And we're here again to talk about film, film chat, <laughs> film gab, patter, film patter, film stuff. <laughs> I don't know what else. Is <laughs> patter feet? <laughs> I think patter is only feet. Pitter patter of little feet. Pitter is- patter of little movies. <laughs> I, I'm delirious at this point. I have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, that's what we do best. We just record all of the bullshit that comes out of our mouths <laughs> and publish it for the world. What's going on with you? How's it going? I'm doing okay. I don't really have a lot going on, which is strange because I thought that once I got vaccinated, I'd be like in these streets, but I'm still just in my house. Um, but how how are you doing? <laughs> I'm fine. I um. So I, I got into, you know, how everybody sort of has like quarantine hobbies that, that mm. they adopted. You know, it's like everybody, of course, is making the breads and doing Sleeping, the, the garden. Taking trazodone. <laughs> yeah, those two. <laughs> uh, everyone is now, um, you know, like hiking the Appalachian Trail. Like it's the thing, right? So, of course, I'm, I'm one of these people because I got into like birds when <laughs> quarantine happened. Not so much when I was still in L.A. because um, there's no birds here. They're all like <laughs> smog covered demons just <laughs> wafting through the air. Well, the funny thing is, is that I didn't really see very many birds except for hummingbirds. There was a mm. shit ton of hummingbirds in West Hollywood. I don't know if that was like the case in Silver Lake, but like, yeah, my neighborhood, um, too. Yeah. I used to see hummingbirds on the regs. They're the only birds fast enough to whiz by all the shit. So they, they smog can't land on them. They can just keep moving. Keep it moving. Hummingbirds are like the survivalist bird that we need for this place. There's like old people in tracksuits screaming at each other at the top of their lungs. And then there's just this beautiful hummingbird that just flies by. And it's I'm like, like oh. a scene out of American beauty. The hummingbirds are the plastic bag. <laughs> exactly. So, um, the, so the funny thing is, is that here where I'm at in Florida, it's part of this thing called the birding trail, which is essentially like where it's like a migratory path for birds coming Ooh. from the north. Right. Um, so bird watching is really popular here. And I think it's it's really popular in Florida in general, but it's especially popular in this in this region that I'm in. Right. So. You know, my dad's like, oh, man, you got to get yourself some binoculars. You got to, you know, download some literature from the Internet. That's like his thing is like, get your literature in order. Get, you know, does your dad know that you're not retired? (laughs) Like, I know that you're living with them, but you're not retired yet. (laughs) Listen, you don't know how easily I have fallen into this lifestyle. Okay, it's like, (laughs) I mean, I was middle aged at 12 and I was like, oh, yeah, like I'm loving I'm loving all this stuff, all this retirement info. 
like the tips and tricks from my parents. <laughs> the literature. Who would have known? Yeah. But my dad is like a gear guy. Like, I don't know. I feel like this is very common because I feel like I've also like dated guys that were like this. They're all about the gear. So when they start a <laughs> hobby, they're like, well, I started a new hobby. So I got to go down to the store and get all the things that I need. Like, you got to have the right this and the right that. You got to have the books, the pamphlets, the, you know, mail off for the catalogs. You know, it's like so, so funny to me. But so can you, I, can you be a, a gear guy for knitting? I think I'm a gear guy for knitting because I'm like, give me all them needles. Give me those interchangeable needles. Give me that soft, soft $10 skein yarn. I'm down there. I'm in it. See, I I would love to know like the the ins and outs of knitting. Like I want to know like what is like the good needles versus the bad needles. This yarn versus this. Like I want the the turf wars on like the product <clears throat> brands and shit like I'm I want to know all of these things about knitting. So the world of knitting, I will I will one day invite you into the magical world of knitting and you will be astonished at how many turf wars there literally are. <laughs> and I'm I'm an equal opportunity knitter. I think if you're just starting out with something, just get it, get it cheap so you can learn the the stitches. It's two stitches in knitting, but you can make a hun- hundreds and thousands of different patterns. So Go ahead and get that red heart, that red lion, whatever red brand yarn (laughs) and just teach yourself how to do it. And then as you get better, level up. But you there are definitely people who are trying it out here with knitting needles in terms of gear. Like I'm not spending hundreds of dollars on knitting needles. You can gift them to me anytime. Contact us at I saw what you did. (laughs) If you want to gift me a set of five hundred dollar needles. No, that's interesting because that's I I think that's a kind of the same thing about a lot of hobbies is that people go into it thinking they got to get like the fanciest shit. I mean, it's like that Mm -hmm. with like the outdoor stuff, right? Like if you go into like an REI, people are like, damn, you really need like five hundred dollar trekking poles. And I'm like, no, but. At the same time, it's fascinating to me that people have opinions and like brand loyalties when it comes yes. to like things and that they have like opinions about who's the guide that you need mm. like or whose guide you need. So I was like, first of all, I went and got kind of just like a basic book on birding and there's like a couple different ones. And if you go on Amazon, it's basically like in the comments or in the reviews is basically like that other bird book is bullshit. This is the best book. And then the other one is like, that's the bullshit one. This is the best book. And I'm like, this is fascinating. But then it's funny to me because it just underscores kind of the seriousness that certain people have towards their hobbies. Right. So like I, I decided to go on the internet and just kind of do like a general guide to this area, right? So I was like, okay, so what kind of birds can I expect to see like in this county, in this town, okay? Right. And I found this like dude's guide, okay? He's like a resident, but he has put <laughs> together his own literature. He's put together his own like PDF pamphlet. I- Love this guy already. <laughs> I, I don't know what he looks like. I, I assume he looks like James Lipton from Inside the Actor Studio. I don't know why I think that, but I just assume it, right? Could be completely wrong. As we know, so many different types of people are into everything. So right. I'm just saying. Maybe that's my faulty judgment there, but I just assume he looks like James Lipton. Okay. So I download this guide, and it's basically like... His tone is that you're just joking around because you just decided you want to pick up birding. Like he's like, all right, 
I know why you downloaded this guide. It's because you think you know a lot about birds. But let me just tell you something. You fucking don't. I love this approach. <laughs> like, I'm going to make this guide to prove to you how much of a piece of shit you are. <laughs> that is the energy I need to bring to my hobbies. <laughs> I am like, yeah, I don't know shit. Like, I am not even trying to identify a bird with a by a call because I literally don't know what birds sound like. <laughs> and so, yeah, I deserve it. Like, I'll, haze me. Why don't you, sir? Haze me, pamphlet guy. Because I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And I did pick this up as a quarantine hobby. You know, I, I could take a little bit of that. But it is just like so funny to me because he's basically like, every other paragraph. He's like. I know what you're thinking, but it's wrong. Like that's his vibe throughout this entire pamphlet. And it's almost like if you can make it through this pamphlet, you must really want to be in the birds because he is fucking raking you over the coals in a major way. I want to bare knuckle box this guy on one of those speed boats, like those air boats that go over the swamps. <laughs> I want to bare knuckle box him on one of those and just be like, who knows the most now? <laughs> Level playing field, dude. Let's do it. But it is like it's it's an intimidating hobby only because there are so many different types of birds, like in the yeah. way that you're like, how is this possible? And like, honestly, like you have to really like study the way that they look because like a feather will be off. You know, like one feather that's like tucked underneath their wing is like distinguishes like one entire species from like another. It's like one of those puzzles from when you were a kid, like find the differences between these two birds. They look exactly the same, but this one has a turquoise beak. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's incredible if you can like totally identify a bird like on site by the bird call, all that stuff. Um, But it is funny because I'm just sort of like, I just I'm, I'm getting spanked by this pamphlet right now. But this is this is why I don't like pamphlets like this cuz I love that you want to do this and you're trying and that to me is what's important. Like you will eventually get to the point where you can identify a couple of birds by sight and you're going to be so excited. Normally on your own you'd be so excited, but now you're going to be like, well, it's not every bird, so I guess it's not good enough. Fuck all that. Throw that pamphlet away. If it's on your computer, you have to throw your computer in the trash. I'm so sorry. Toss that laptop. Go out with some binoculars and make up your own birds. Nobody gives a shit. Call this one the, the whistling dick bird. I don't care. Like, just do whatever you want to do. <laughs> learn whatever you want to learn. This bird is the, the fucking red speckled tit bird. I don't know. Like, I'm, all, I'm only thinking about tits and dicks here. This is disgusting. Well, but no, you know but that's what I the mean. funny thing. That's when I know that I'm not a real bird person because I still laugh every time I'm like, oh, that bird is called a tit. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm still laughing about bird names. You're allowed to just have fun with it. And I think it's cool that you're trying. Yeah. And that you're like, look, what does Florida have to offer? Birds? Cool. I'm going to get into these birds. I'm going to try it. Yeah. Well, I think my main goal is to prove to my friends and family that I can sustain an interest in something, even though I've been fully vaccinated. So, <laughs> like, this isn't See, just guys. a whim. This is like a passion. We'll see. I think you're on the verge of discovering the curly eyed hoodie bird who just like kind of looks like Eminem. <laughs> like when he had the straight bangs. The mom spaghetti crested. <laughs> <laughs>
(laughs) That's what I want for you to enjoy birding enough so that you get to name birds. I don't know who names them, but I want you to be able to be like, nope, this one is no longer called the lesser spotted blue tit. It's called the mom spaghetti crested hen. And they're like, that is not a hen. Doesn't matter. It's not the point. That's what it's called. The golden Mackay Pfeiffer uh, (laughs) red wing or whatever. (laughs) I just want somebody to name something the golden Mackay Pfeiffer. I'm only talking about eight mile. We've changed the episode. It's about eight mile. Sorry, everyone. Oh, boy. Okay, so you want to talk about this theme we got this week? I do, because I love it. This was like, I think, your baby. (laughs) This was your baby. (laughs) Maybe that's a revealing uh, (laughs) detail. I gave birth while I was watching Zoolander. (laughs) This is what came out. Um, (laughs) I had this thought. When I was watching my movie, because I watched my movie for the first time, I'd say like seven months ago. It was Mm -hmm. definitely a pandemic pick for me. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't I realized that I had never seen it. But I remember people talking about how good it was. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, again, raised by my grandma on horror films. And I'm like, well, how could how good could it be? It's just a horror film. I watched this movie. And then I didn't sleep for a week. Wow. And I'm not even kidding. I thought about it every day for a week. Wow. So and this is what came out of it. I'm like, the the overall thought is our theme, which is. You say oh, it. You want me to say it? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm on the edge of my seat, bitch. Tell me. And I'm like, oh, no, I have to say it. Um, hold uh, the name. OK. Oh, no. I'm so dumb. OK. The name of the theme is I wish you were never born. (laughs) Now, don't get crazy. Let's explain this because, you know, I wish you were never born. Feels like fighting words, but really it's about siblings. Yeah. And complicated family dynamics. That's right. We had a, a a Mother's Day episode last week. And, you know, as you know, we're, uh, you know, all, we're not necessarily afraid of talking about, you know, the more complicated issues amongst family members, obviously. Yeah. So we figured like we would use this like phrase that this classic sibling phrase that we would like hurl towards each other as kids um, (laughs) to name our theme this week, because it is about like complicated families, complicated siblings, that kind of thing, which is interesting to me. Complicated marriages. Yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated by this kind of stuff. And I think our, our film choices usually make me laugh in some way or like entertain me in some way. And this week just takes the cake. (laughs) yeah i don't think anyone guessed it i don't think anyone guessed it what the theme was yeah i it was it was kind of it was kind of a tough one Uh, i'm patting ourselves on the back for that uh thank you (laughs) but i will i will say i like that both of these are horror adjacent Mm -hmm. um horrors and thrillers and whatnot and maybe that is 
a common theme among thriller and horror movies is family, family dynamics and family secrets, family drama. Um, and you have something that is quite old, not quite old. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like quite old, like the Mozart era. <laughs> no, you have something that's older, you know, like a classic sort of horror thriller from the 60s. And then you have a very recent movie. And I just think that's really great is that we're able yeah. to kind of like this theme kind of satisfies like newer and older films. And it bridges a gap because when I was reading about my movie, I think I saw someone use the phrase ancestral horror or mm-hmm. horror of ancestors. And it makes sense in both films to me to, to as a connector that these are both movies about like the horrors of your ancestry. Well, and let me just tell you right now, your movie is a first watch for me. Um, <gasps> I... I will be quite honest with you. I don't dip into modern horror often. Mm-hmm. Okay. And like you told me when I made you watch the way we were <laughs> and you were like, I'm never going to forgive you for this. I might never forgive you for making me watch your movie. I mean, it, it, I, I, I might hold that in for the rest of my days. I'll, I'll take it. I, I will hold that with you. <laughs> As your friend, I will not let you walk that road alone. <laughs> you can level that at me. I am okay with it. And you watched this with your mom? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah. I was Ooh, like, hey, you want to watch a movie with me for the podcast? And she was like, okay. This is, this is a hell of a movie to watch with your mom. Yeah. Um, but I will I'll take it. I don't forgive myself for watching it. So how could you forgive me for insisting that we both watch it again or for the first time? I would say if you're gonna watch either of these movies with family members, just buckle the fuck up. It's gonna bring up some things. <laughs> and tr- truly, this is the this is a first for us, I believe. I'm gonna give a disclaimer here mm. about my movie. Okay. And maybe actually I'll wait to give the disclaimer until we start talking about it. Okay. But I'm going to give a disclaimer about my movie. So, ooh, I'm 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 excited to hear about what it'll be because <laughs> I think I'm going first this week. Am I wrong about yeah. that? Okay, no, you're going first. So my movie this week for the theme of "I Wish You Were Never Born" is a movie from 1962. It was directed by Robert Aldridge, and it's called "Whatever Happened to Baby Jane." Whatever happened to Baby Jane? <laughs> Betty Davis is Jane Hudson. <laughs> Crawford is Blanche Hudson, but we must warn you, if you're long-standing fans of Miss Davis and Miss Crawford, this motion picture is quite unlike anything they have ever done. Here it is, baby. Here it is. It's the mother of all Psycho Bitty movies. <laughs> Camp film excellence. So, okay. If you haven't listened to episode 17 yet, where we did the prank phone call movies, Right. I would just encourage you to maybe listen to that one because I go into the history of this film subgenre or microgenre, which is called Grand Dame Guignol. By the way, the internet was really quick to tell me that apparently I was pronouncing that word wrong the entire episode. Okay. Excellent. So to spare you from my terrible French accent. <laughs> 
Okay, I will just be calling this genre by one of its many alternate names, which is called Psychobitty. It's called Psychobitty for me because we're not calling it exploitation, right? Nope. Remember, listen to episode 17. The French will never top Psychobitty. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to say the French one because I slaughtered it last time in episode 17. But anyway, when it comes down to it, like whatever happened to Baby Jane even though it is like the first psycho bitty film. I mean, I guess if you want to get technical, it might be like sunset Boulevard, but this was the one to really launch it in the Mm sixties. Even though that is true, this movie was a huge success. Like it basically relaunched both Betty Davis and Joan Crawford's careers. And they would work for many years after this movie was released, which I think is fantastic. And like I said, in episode 17, I get pissed off at people who like felt sorry for them for being in this movie and like all the other movies they did after this, like the psycho bitty adjacent films, because, you know, like I, I go on a tangent about this in episode 17, so I won't do it again, but it's basically like, you know, men have second acts that are very successful all the time from like Mm -hmm. horror and exploitation and thriller movies. And it's like not a stain on their records. Right. I mean, just ask Tarantino about that, you know, and it just, so again, I can get a little emotional talking about, you know, middle-aged Betty Davis and Joan Crawford in, you know, scary makeup in a horror movie and people thinking that's like a bad thing or whatever. Right. Um, Because also this movie is beloved because it's, it's grand and it's over the top and that's fine too, you know? And like, whatever, I might die on this hill, but <laughs> I think it's possible to have like different reasons for loving the same thing. Just saying I might, I, that might be like a controversial <laughs> take. And then, you know, sometimes like the reasons you like something are like incongruous or something, but actually maybe it's just that you like, love the entirety of the thing do i have to really preface this by saying that i love this movie for all its complexity anyway now i'm just on one with this episode we are fucked um wheels are off (laughs) we are rolling on the axles and the chassis yes this is a fucking hell ride um so this film was directed by robert aldridge who had this huge career and he made a lot of movies and he directed and produced a lot of films that are like my absolute favorites of all time so he did like kiss me deadly autumn leaves which is another joan crawford film hush hush sweet charlotte which is the movie that came after this one the legend of lila claire we're gonna get to that movie at some point i love that movie too much the killing of Sister George. It's like, come on. And whatever happened to Aunt Alice, which is. Ooh. It's another whatever happened movie, but it's great. Um, all I have to say is that basically if there was <laughs> if there was like a former classic Hollywood actress who was in middle age that needed to be in a thriller, Robert Aldridge was your man. OK, let me. And I also want to say this. And we talked a little bit about like having a job where we get to come up with titles all day. Listen, I'm like about five seconds away, I swear, from like starting a directing career simply to name psycho bitty movies. <laughs> like I'm already a middle aged woman, according to a 24 year old. So it's my destiny. Like modern day psycho video. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've already, listen, I've already come up with 
two that you and I can both be in together or apart. Your choice. So here's my pitch. Here's my elevator pitch. I'm ready. So the movie that I will be in is about a woman who traps her new boyfriend backstage at the National Dog Show. And the, t- <laughs> and the title is called Who Wants to Killy Auntie Millie? Okay. And yours, yours is going to be about a woman who traps Metallica, the band, the entire band, in a desolate, like snow covered cabin in Alaska. And it's called Send Directly to Hell, Miss Danielle. (laughs) And the cover of it is going to be like this letter opener that's like ripping through an envelope and it's just covered in blood. You have to quit your job tomorrow (laughs) put in your notice this is what you're doing forever now see i will find a way to hook you up with some studio heads or something like whoever lets this happen this is your new job can we get scotty landis to write this movie with you like both these movies we need these movies to be produced so anyway that that now that that's out of the way Okay. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane stars Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, two of the biggest, if not the biggest, actresses in classic Hollywood, right? And I'll just say right off the bat, no, I have not seen Feud, which is the Ryan Murphy show that is all about this. But Nor I know have I. <laughs> literally okay. Well then me and you are the only people that haven't seen it because I, everyone I know in the world has seen it. So in a way, I feel like I can kind of spare everybody the big history lesson about Betty and Joan and just like their legendary rivalry. Like, honestly, Google it. It's like, all you really need to know about their feud is that A, they were both like giant studio era stars, right? And they were operating at this time when the movie industry was even more cloistered and managed mm. than it is now, which is saying a lot. But also, they were both Aries, okay? And if you know anything about astrology, it means that they are the warring type, both of them. That's all I need to know about the rivalry, in my opinion, okay? But I encourage you to look it up because it's fascinating. So the plot of this movie is that Betty Davis plays Baby Jane Hudson. She is a famous child star in the vaudeville era who had this like adorable act with her father in which they performed songs about daddies and they sold a shit ton of these giant porcelain (laughs) dolls that resembled baby jane okay her sister blanche hudson who is played by joan crawford is like sitting silently backstage she has little to no needs of her own while her sister is like a second away from having a complete meltdown about not getting ice cream whenever she wanted. Okay. (laughs) Just bretting it up everywhere. Yes. So we're setting up the scenario, the dynamic between these two sisters cut to a few years later. Turns out Blanche now has the big famous acting career and baby Jane has essentially descended into irrelevance and alcoholism, sadly to say. So one night Blanche and Jane come home from, you know, somewhere a party um, and Blanche gets out of the car to open the gate and is like hit by the car in front of her own driveway. And she's paralyzed from the waist down. Um, And immediately it's, it's um, suggested that Jane is the culprit as she was drunk when it happened. You know, they kind of like leave a lot of stuff out about that, but it was the scenario. 
that happened. So you cut to the sort of modern era in the film where Blanche, who is now in a wheelchair, she's essentially living in a house that she's paid for with baby Jane and is, is trapped on the second floor of the home that they share together. And for whatever reason, Jane is now her caretaker, which is clearly the most terrible idea that anyone has ever heard of because, you know, and I mean, maybe there is something to that. I mean, if their parents aren't around anymore and obviously she's probably got like this sister and that's the only family member who can take care of her. But honestly, Jane is more bitter and delusional than ever. And she is wearing the clothes and makeup from her glory years, which are terrifying. Oh, the scariest part of the movie, I would say. This is from when she was the, the diminutive dancing deuce of Duluth. Is that what it said on her poster? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, alliteration working overtime to say, here's a little girl with a gangle jangle dance. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Betty Davis is wearing this like pancake makeup from hell. You know, which, by the way, Betty Davis was like, she was a real goer. And that's why I love her. She was basically like, I'm totally chill with looking as fucked up as possible for a role. <laughs> that was literally her her party line. Like, she was like, yeah. I'll do whatever it takes. Like, I'm committed. And for that, I love it. I love it. But she's wearing like this crazy like makeup. She's her, you know her eyeliner is going all over the place and she's also wearing like one of those old school dresses which it's like a, a it's like a cut of dress that is flattering to pretty much nobody where the waistline is like down by the hips or like it's like yeah pelvis waistline is that like an old cut um, it's like a flapper cut it's like a flapper cut and i'm like damn that cut of dress i don't know who looks good in that dress um ever and i don't really know uh, she's wearing it it's basically my point and not, and not even to say that she looks terrible but just it's universally unflattering in my opinion okay but anyway so she's wearing the clothes and the makeup from her glory years she's drinking multiple bottles of scotch a day <laughs> which she can Gin only yes Ugh. where she's like lying to get because the package store or whatever has cut her off and she's got to like pretend to be her sister which she does an incredible job of imitating Blanche's voice or Joan Crawford's <laughs> voice I'm not even sure if that was actually her but it's great um and she is straight up abusing Blanche like on the regs and she's yelling yeah. at her she's denying her the option to leave her her room which again she's on the second floor she's not letting her eat <laughs> yeah not, oh yeah serving her dead birds and rats under a cloche Oof. And, you know, I said this in the um, I said this in episode 17 when talking about psycho video movies. But basically, like this is a common trope in these films is trapping relatives. Mm. And it's so outrageous because it's basically like it goes back to what I was saying in that episode about how like this is a story device that was put into a story like this because it's like it's all about women's age. Right. It's about like older women being so desperate to maintain something, maintain some kind of youth, maintain some kind of love and acceptance that they don't get anymore. So they have to fucking trap people, <laughs> you know, which is so That's outrageous. The That's the natural progression. Millie. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't get love. You are fucking trapped. Yes. <laughs> and listen, like that's a that's like a I know I'm this is a serious issue, but it's also like I can laugh at this because I'm middle aged. OK, <laughs> <laughs> like, let me laugh at it. OK, Um but Jane figures out that Blanche is like thinking of selling this house and and is trying to get some help for Jane, which clearly she's she needs. And so from that point, she, you know, baby Jane launches an all out war and Blanche makes many attempts to escape. Their housekeeper, Elvira, who is played by like the amazing she's amazing, Mady Norman. She's basically the only outsider that's coming into this house at this point. And. Elvira definitely senses that there's some fuck shit going on and you know you know what's going to happen to her because <laughs> she knows this right classic horror <laughs> like you know how this works it's very I know what you did last summer except it's I know what you did to your your sister who's paralyzed from the waist down yes and you know so at the same time baby Jane is also trying to get her career back on track she hires a piano man to play you know for her her songs I guess that she, I don't know if she's written them or is just gonna bring out the old favorites and the guy's name is Edwin and he's played by Victor Bono who's amazing too there's so many amazing people in this movie besides Betty and Joan um but he eventually finds out what's going on right yeah and goes running for the hills and this is kind of the thing is that slowly this like the situation is becoming more and more tense and crazy. And then it all just kind of ends up like it always does at the beach. <laughs> that that has to be the weirdest part of this movie for me <laughs> no. is the ending. And the sister, the sisters kind of have their final blowout on, on the beach. And it is the kind of thing where it's kind of there's a there's big questions left at the end. I don't think that that's a spoiler, but it 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 is like the culmination of this like really fraught relationship between these two sisters, which, by the way, I got to say, it cracks me up that anybody thought that these two could pose as sisters. I mean, just just on the pure Aries energy alone, like. No one's sharing. No one's sharing this family. They, 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 they couldn't live in the same house ever. And you're saying this as a confirmed Aries. Yes, I. I it takes one to know one. Okay. <laughs> but you know, I know that competition between siblings though is like a real thing. Even though I did not experience that, I did not experience anything close to that. Like, I don't want to speak entirely for my own sister, but it always felt like she and I were like against the world. You know, and not like each other. And, you know, I don't know if that's because, you know, we're the children of immigrants or something like that. But, you know, that's how we operated. I mean, we fought. We had like, you know, some kind of like epic battles once in a while, but it was never like this. It was never like, you know, I'm sabotaging your life because I'm pissed Wait. off that you're, you know, a star and I'm not or something. So you're, what you're saying is you would never dump your sister out of a wheelchair and then kick her to like half to death. <laughs> For trying to use the phone? <laughs> no, I would not. I certainly would not. Um, yeah. And and honestly, like, like this movie, like, is kind of that thing, too, where, like, it is about show business. It is about, like, people who grew up in the world of show business and how age is such a factor and how the tides turn all the time for people. And, you know, they're both, like, unable to, like, really 
process all of this stuff. You know, I don't want to get too like psychological about this film because like I said, it's a joy. This movie is a joy to watch. And even though you're watching these people do horrible things to each other, it's a horror movie. It's 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 entertainment. And I also don't want to, you know, say I'm not trying to get into the psychology of of these two characters too much, Um, because the reason why people love it is because they this is like the most devilicious film ever. It's the the two women who were at the top of their game. They like ran Hollywood and now they're like in this film together. I, it's, it's a really interesting outlet for like the real world relationship that they had. Yeah. The, the choice for both of them to be in this film, I think is a fascinating one because it's like, huh, I do want to kind of understand the psychology of that a little bit where they're each choosing these roles where they can each be viewed as sympathetic characters at different points in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I I dug it. I love, I really like this movie. And I think there are, of course, some classic lines like, um, like this one. But you are, Blanche, you are in that chair. But I think that, you know, what makes this movie fun and interesting to me is that it is, it's a look at these two women who are not, who are in the sunset of their lives and the complicated family relationships and dynamics that go along with that, the being forced into care for each other because the dynamic has shifted so intensely for them over their lives. It's not as if one was famous, became more famous and then petered out. It was a real balancing of the scales in that the bratty, precocious one eventually was outed for being untalented and addicted to alcohol while Blanche was on the rise and she is beloved, like her neighbors love her. People in the neighborhood know that she lives in this home, but Jane has forced her into being a recluse. So she can't even enjoy the the fame that people are now rediscovering because of television, or she can't enjoy the fame of just being remembered. Her sister wants her to be forgotten and tucks her away so that she can still maintain this glimmer of a fantasy that she is going to be more famous again, even though it's never going to happen. Yeah. And, 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 and so much of this movie, like, is the setup for the genre, right? Because like I said before, there's so many, like, there's so many sort of um, tropes that are in this film that would be seen in all these other psycho bitty movies, like, you know, within like Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte and like, you know, Berserk, like Joan Crawford's, you know, later movies, like, you know, all the stuff that like kind of became the genre, right? And like I said, the ridiculousness for me and why I can sort of laugh at something like this and find this very campy and funny and enjoyable is because the ridiculousness of the idea that that older women do this kind of stuff. It's just basically like Hollywood's version of what they think like older women do with each other, which is that they're just like, we fucking hate each other because we're old and ugly or something. And I'm just like, and we're, and we have contempt for anybody else that's like, you know, happy and thriving. Older women just lock themselves in their homes and battle it out to the death. Whoever comes out of that is the winner. Like, that's what they think we do. We just reach a certain age where we go into a house and beat the shit out of each other. Yes, For exactly. our former glory. <laughs> exactly. Because if you look, okay, if you look at the story, like point blank, you are looking at 
a very dysfunctional relationship. But like part of, like I said, part of how I can process this movie and find it funny and find it entertaining is just the absurdity of, of the plot right. and of the absurdity of the concept of like, you know, two older women just like, yeah, wanting to kill each other. And honestly, that, that is, a, I've developed that sense of humor in my life because yeah. if I didn't, I would be fucking bummed as shit watching a movie like this. I'd be like, God damn. But this is like how, you know, we learn to process information is that sometimes like, you know, the best thing to do is, is to take the power away from the message and to make it like, a f like it's over the top, like right. in a way that sort of like talks about, I mean, I talked about like Betty Davis sort of looking you know, she's wearing crazy makeup in these crazy outfits and she's like screaming and flat and you know, like she's got this like really rugged, mean, terse voice. And this is just something that, you know, I have loved. Like I've over the years, I have loved a, a, a character or like a woman who's basically like, I don't give a shit what you think of me. In fact, I'm going to double down and be right. gross as fuck. And this is how I'm going to take the power away from whatever narrative this is, whatever, whatever the industry is telling me I should be doing in this movie. So, I mean, I love it. You know, I love this film, too. And I think what's wild is that she definitely is to me her real self with her sister because she is that kind of rugged, mean person with Blanche. But as soon as um, Edwin comes on the scene. It's like a man, a man, you know, it's kind of like yes. that, like that energy of like, I can reclaim my former glory and she's too much herself. Like she'll never be that, that little performing kid again. And I just, I love, I love seeing that. Like, I like how this movie takes a very campy approach to what could be a very dismal scene, very dismal storyline. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I feel, it feels like to me, like this film is championed and beloved by like gay men and women, like the psychobitty genre, like I talked about in episode 17. And I think it's because we love women like this. We love women who are forceful and are presence and are commanding and they're doing the damn thing. And they're like, you know, being loud, taking up space, like they're, older they're you know they're mm -hmm. not the young ingenues and because of that society and the industry that they work in has decided that they're not valuable and and everybody who loves this kind of stuff is like fuck that and yep. to me that is why i love this movie and why i thought this would be good for this theme because it's like yeah i mean if you get down to breast sex it's a complicated relationship but also like we're seeing it as a film and what the film does within the genre within the the time period that it was made you know like it's interesting and i and i just i just love it and honestly man i'm really glad that i didn't grow up in show business i'm really glad that my sister and i are chill as fuck you know this is the classic example of like warring sisters and wow oh yeah they each wish that the other was never born oh, <laughs> at various times in their lives exactly it's like back and forth exactly there are some real heartbreaking scenes here too like i just want to 
I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I think that it's heartbreaking the way Jane goes around town asking people, do you know who I am oh, or God. do you remember who I am? I know. I'm like, oh, girl, give it up. Nobody, nobody remembers. We got electricity now. Like nobody knows that you were gangle jangling in these like <laughs> candlelit theaters. <laughs> It's sad. <laughs> it's sad. And then there's also these sad moments where she's looking in a mirror and singing the song that she used to sing as a kid. And her voice is gone. Oof. It yes, is ma'am. shot. It, it even to the tune where even Blanche upstairs cocks her head and is like, I'm sorry, what? What are you trying to sing? <laughs> I love Victor Bodo's face when she when she starts singing, he's yes. just like <laughs> He's got that like look on his face. It's like, oh boy, I got <laughs> myself into another it. fine one, didn't I? <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it before or if you haven't seen it in a while. It is. Think of when you watch it this time. Think of it with the theme of "I wish you were never born" in mind. <laughs> it is. Uh, I'm glad I was able to watch it again. I hope you all liked it too. Oh, well, we're going to get into, I think it's safe to say my movie's a little bit different (laughs) (laughs) from whatever happened to baby Jane. A little different. I I would say a little different. Yeah. (laughs) So my film for the theme of I Wish You Were Never Born is Hereditary, which was released in 2018 and was written and directed by Ari Aster. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. It's Grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I can't believe you watched this movie with your mom. That is still, I'm never going to stop cracking up about this. <laughs> I know I truly went in blind like I I had obviously heard of this movie I've obviously heard about Ari Aster you know I remember when Midsummer came out like it was all the rage mm-hmm. um but I truly didn't know what this movie was going to be about like I just thought okay well Danielle's picked it for this theme so I might have an inkling but um let's just watch it with my mom and see what happens and um hmm yes what happened was your mom now has a lot of questions about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> she said that, yes. <laughs> well, Hereditary premiered at the Sundance Film Festival to wild acclaim. It was a very successful film. I think it was made for $10 million and it grossed like $80 million. Um, and again, I watched it for the first time last, you know, last year start of the pandemic and just didn't sleep for a week. It was mesmerizing. I think that the actors in this film are incredible. You have Toni Collette playing Annie Graham. Uh, She is the mother of uh, the family. She's married to Gabriel Byrne, who plays Steve. Alex Wolfe as Peter. I didn't know who he was. And he's apparently, apparently he was on a Nickelodeon show called The Naked Band. But he's so incredible in this movie that I was like, who is that? Like, where did he come from? Absolutely stunning in this film, as is Millie Shapiro, who plays Charlie, his younger sister. And Millie Shapiro was the original Matilda in the Broadway Matilda. 
Mm. You know, the Broadway Matildas. It's not like the Houston Matildas. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She was the original Matilda in the Broadway Matilda. And I just find her unbelievably fascinating to watch. Like, she's very captivating. She's a very captivating actress. Mm -hmm. Um, So we come into this film, at the start of this film, Annie's mother, Ellen, has died. Ellen Taperly. She died when she was 78. She had lived with Annie at the end before hospice. And again, she's the matriarch of this family. Um, And she's also a secret weirdos in more ways than you care to discover. So after she dies, very strange things start happening and all hell breaks loose. I know I say that all the time. (laughs) Could not be more apt for this film. And this is where I'm going to give a little disclaimer couple of things. If you want to see this movie and you have not seen it yet, I don't know that you can listen to this part of the show because there is the second disclaimer. There is a scene that happens about 30 minutes into this film that sets off the trajectory for the rest of the film. And I cannot help but spoil it because the rest of the film revolves around this moment. Also, another (laughs) another. Another disclaimer, it's pretty gory in certain parts in ways that I cannot describe. (laughs) So just some warnings for you. I don't want anyone to go into this thinking, you know, I will never forgive you (laughs) for making me watch this the way Millie now does. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think it's worth saying because this is the beauty of this film for me. And I think part of the reason I thought about it so much after I saw it is that I cannot remember the last time a horror film made me actually scared in a in like a psychological thriller kind of way. Because I don't like the carnage and the gore horror. And this doesn't this film is very, very differently structured from anything I've seen. And I know it took the director a really long time. Like he, he I've read interviews with him where he said, he, you know, he thought about this movie for a number of years before it ever came to light. And you can tell there's a lot of thoughtful details in my second or third watching. You know, I think that this is there are things you pick up as you watch that are fascinating um, and really indicative of like what is to come. But also, again, these small, I guess I'll call them corner moments, like these things that kind of happen off screen in a smaller way that just you can kind of pick up and notice actually inform a lot of the decisions that are being made in the film by the characters. So just to get into this a little bit, we've got Annie, who's a miniature artist, which is really cool. There's actually an incredible opening scene where you're seeing one of her miniature houses, and it is a replica of her actual house that her family's currently living in. And then you zoom in on this bedroom and it becomes Peter, her son's actual bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I just love that kind of, that's the kind of detail I'm talking about. Like you just kind of get these small moments that that change the emotion of the scene without you even noticing it. Um, But we open on Ellen's funeral and we get a little bit of the family dynamic revealed here. So we learn that Charlie's allergic to nuts, um, that Annie isn't really emoting in the wake of her mother's death. And at the funeral itself, she's talking about like all of these strange new friends that she's seeing in the audience because her mom was very difficult and private. Um, so we're just setting a little bit of a scene at this funeral. And Gabriel Burns, you know, he's he's a super supportive dad and husband in this movie. He's just, you know, he's a psychiatrist. And he's just taking it all in stride. Um, 
And then as Annie's looking through a box of Ellen's stuff, she finds a book called Notes on Spiritualism with a note tucked inside that her mother has written to her. And the note is half apology about all things inherited and half more cryptic than I can even begin to. It's just very cryptic. It's a very cryptic message tucked into this book. And then her grave is desecrated. So we're off. (laughs) (laughs) With a bang. Off with a bang. Um, Charlie, meanwhile, Charlie's on her own trip. And what's really happening here in, in the beginning and in the first time I saw this film, I thought, oh, we're watching a family go through all these different stages of grief and they're grieving singularly. They're not grieving as a unit. And that was interesting to me that, you know, you usually see families come together in times of grief when it, on film. And this is just people kind of having their own experience. Um, but it's much deeper than that. So Charlie's on her own trip. For example, when a bird flies into her classroom window, she just grabs a pair of scissors and snips its head off. Mm. Charlie's just on her way to becoming like the goth queen of that town. <laughs> so you're saying that she would be like super tight with like... Mikey and Sandy from the ice storm got that intensity. The three of them would form a band and the (laughs) band would just be all of them standing on stage and staring at the crowd. No instruments, no sound. That's their band. Destroying toys. Just blowing shit up, (laughs) cutting heads off alive animals. Oh, my God. And lighting molecules in the air like it. Yeah, they would (laughs) they would get along famously. Yeah. Um, And in the midst of this, like, you know, Charlie again off on her own trip. Annie goes to a group therapy session where we learn some very important things about her. First of all, Ellen, her mother, had dissociative identity disorder and dementia. Her dad starved himself to death because he was a psychotic depressive. And her brother committed suicide. He was schizophrenic and left a note blaming her mom, blaming their mom for putting people inside of him. So she was estranged from her mother for a long time and didn't really reconnect until Charlie was born. And Steve insisted that, you know, she reconnect with her mother. Um, But this is the family she's dealing with where everyone is either dead or dealing with a severe mental health issue. And she has this real distance from her mother as a result. Um, But she's good with her own kids. Like, I feel like she's close to her kids. You can see a little bit of tension in in the family, particularly with Peter. But Peter's, look, he's a teenage boy. He gets invited to this party. After someone texts him, bring your dick, which is now how I'm inviting everyone to everything. Meet me at the park. Bring your dick. That is now my calling card. And then when I saw when he shows up at the party and I'm like, wow, this house is real fancy and white and like modern. I'm like yeah hopefully that it was like that moment of the ice storm to talk about the ice storm again where it's like basically like don't ruin the linens (laughs) like like this is a very pristine house you're showing up with your with your dick too so this this house has a rothko hanging in the in the foyer (laughs) so maybe calm it down (laughs) and at this party Annie insists that he brings Charlie like he asked to use the car and she's like, "Okay, cool. If you bring your 13 year old sister and he's like, I'm sorry, what? I didn't realize we were bargaining here. Damn. I felt that shit. I felt that shit. I was like my mom. That was the last thing she said to me every time I left the house. You bring (gasps) your sister. And I'm like, "Mm." no. Why Mm. did she do that? Why do parents do that? It's because it's like if one of you's out of here, I want peace and quiet and all of you have to go. 
yeah. I mean, come on. This is like a time where like parents did not want their kids around. They just wanted them to go outside. <laughs> you going anywhere that's not here? Bring your sister. Give me some peace. And he's, and he's like, look, I got some grieving to attempt. I might not get there, but you got to bring your sister and let me try it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, he does. He takes Charlie to this party. And because he's trying to, you know, get get high with his crush in a bedroom, he's like, hey, Charlie, how about you hang out here? Look, they're making cake. Why don't you have a piece of cake? So he goes in the bedroom to get high with this crush. Charlie eats a piece of cake and it is chock full of nuts. Which we know because early on in this scene, we see a girl recklessly chopping nuts like Edward Scissorhands before he was fully human. When he was just like the torso with the the, the conveyor belt. And she's like, clack, 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 clack. And I'm like, Price's I'm sorry. Lair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Is this how we cook now? Like, clack, clack, clack. Well, I it, that was a big, okay. I, it finally made sense clearly after the fact, but I was basically like, who the hell is this teenage girl out here with a cutting board and like a Ginsu chopping nuts <laughs> at like a stoner party? I'm like, this is some funny. elevated teenage shit. I'm like, I haven't been a teenager in a long time. But I'm like, if I ever saw people doing like culinary arts, I'm Again, like, damn, this, what the hell is going on here? This is a house full of Hockneys. Like they got this. <laughs> they, they, they make cakes at their parties, apparently. <laughs> So there's this cake that shows up. Charlie eats it. My thought was this cake is probably laced with fucking marijuana. Yeah. That's what I thought was going to happen. Me too. Yeah. Oh, it gets so much worse. And this is the, one of the disclaimers where, again, this is a great big event that happens that propels the rest of the film. Just need you to know that. What happens is Charlie can't breathe. She says her throat's getting big. She finally goes and gets Peter after trying to drink water and get, you know, kind of get her way through it on her own. She goes and gets Peter. He realizes she can't breathe, carries her to the car. And while Charlie is hanging her head out of the window, trying to catch her breath, and Peter is speeding to get to the hospital, he swerves to avoid something in the road. And she is decapitated by a phone pole. Mm. she's decapitated by a phone pole it was rough man it was the most intensely shocking thing i have seen on screen in a very long time i did not expect any of that to happen mm -hmm. so when that moment happens and again the whole rest of the film is propelled by this moment so peter's in shock he drives home and goes to bed without saying anything so that the next morning Annie finds Charlie's headless body in the backseat of her car. Imagine. I know. I can't. I can't. I thought that that whole, the way that whole scene was crafted around shock and extended grief was so interesting to me. And the fact that when you listen to Tony Collette cry in this scene and say, I just, I can't be alive. I need to be dead. And she's just wailing and wailing and wailing. It is, I don't usually think of crying as acting. You know, I just, I just cry all the time. It's not really acting, but um, it is such superb acting from her across this film, or like throughout this film. But that moment in particular, I felt it like in my heart. And at this point, Annie, kind of wishes she was never born. Yeah, no kidding. 
But from this moment on, Peter is just in shock and grief. He has like a panic attack, smoking pot under the bleachers. He like shakes visibly whenever he has to walk into his own house. And he hears Charlie. She always did this little tongue click and he hears her tongue clicks. So this is, of course, something that sends Annie back to group therapy, her grief therapy session. Um, But she can't really go in. She can't go in. So in the parking lot, she meets Ann Dowd, who plays this character named Joan. And Joan's like, hey, I get you. My grandson and my son just drowned. And and Annie's like, oh, uh, I'm sorry. Like, it just kind of pops her out of her own grief for a minute. But she agrees to meet Joan in her apartment. And here's where we get a little bit more of Annie's story. Because Annie is a sleepwalker. And there was an incident where she covered her kids in paint thinner and only woke up while she was striking a match. Mm. So, of course, this explains some of the tension between her and Peter, because in his eyes, his mother tried to burn him alive. (laughs) And Hmm. now he's responsible for the death of his sister. So Annie's processing this on her own. She's making minis of the of the accident scene. Um, There is a very intense dinner scene. Where Peter, again, is like almost catatonic and is like, just say what you got to say. And she does. And it's this outpouring of real emotion that borders on vitriol. Um, But it's such pure emotion where you're finally seeing her say the things that mothers never get to say. And yeah, that uh, was like the part where my mom and I just kind of looked at each other. (laughs) 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 Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Well, because in this scene, it's like Annie wishes Peter was never born. Steve wishes he was never born at this point. Like nobody dog was like, why do I (laughs) exist? Mazzy's out of there. Dog's like, I am shaped like too much of a bread loaf to take any of this shit on. (laughs) Can't do it. So this is the kind of energy going in for Annie when she runs into Joan again. And Joan basically tells her, hey, I'm feeling great. I met this spiritual medium and I can communicate with my dead grandson. Mm. And again, like when I truly become middle aged, I either want to become this woman or befriend this woman. Maybe in retirement. I just want people around me who are like, you say hi to at a grocery store and they're like, oh, my God, I met a spiritual, spiritual medium. I'm talking to my dead husband, Mari. Want to hang out? Like, I love that kind of shit. I know. My mom was basically like, why is she touching her so much? Like, <laughs> like In the parking lot, you know, she's basically like, you know, putting her hands all over Tony Collette's body. And my mom just was like, damn, what is going on there? And I'm like, I guess we're going to find out. Maybe she's just touchy feely. Maybe this is what, you know, when you have spiritual awakening and suddenly you just like, you know, you just can't keep your hands off people. You're like, oh, my God. Incredible. Well, Joan is in it. And Joan basically is like, you should also do this. You should try this. Um, She gives her a pamphlet or like this kind of sheet of paper. And she's like, I don't know what language it is, but you just have to say every word. Let me tell you something. If you don't know the language, don't fuck with the book because you know that opens the portal to hell. Have you not seen any horror movies? I know. It's like, watch the evil dead. That's everything you need to know about these damn evil books. Yeah. Leave them alone, man. Don't talk the ancient language. (laughs) Leave them alone. But she does. Annie, again, in her grief and in this, she's having nightmares. She's having visions. Like she goes home and tries to contact Charlie using her uh, sketchbook as a link because Charlie was always sketching things. And 
She forces her family to join in this seance. And I'm not joking when I say that everything from this point on is a spoiler. So I cannot discuss this because in this particular instance, I feel like you should watch this movie and it should come as a surprise to you everything that happens after. But I will say that this is the exact kind of horror film I absolutely love. Um, like I said, you don't know what's going to happen next. There are moments of pure shock and the ending is more bizarre than I could have ever imagined. Oh, man. No kidding. I do love this movie. I think it's fantastic. I think he's that that this is a director who has like a very specific eye for storytelling. And I do appreciate that a lot. Yeah, this is, uh, again, a first watch for me. And, um, you know, it was I it, like I said, with new uh, new horror, I'm always very like on the fence about it. And that's just my opinion. Um, it's probably because I just watch so much old horror all the time that I'm like, oh, new horror. Oh, I forgot that that's. That's a thing, too. Right. Um, But there's a lot of good new horror out there. And I have seen good ones. But for the most part, like, you know, to me, I feel like there was I had a lot of questions about this movie. And I think part of it was that I I wasn't exactly sure what I was seeing a lot of the time. And I was trying to like I knew it was going to be the kind of thing where it's one of those movies where you're like. You feel like you have to pay attention to everything because everything is going to be a clue for something later in the film. Because the way it's paced, it's like it's in, I don't know where they filmed it. It's like in this town. My mom and I were asking those questions. We were like, where do they film this? Where is the middle of the woods? I was like, is this New Canaan, Connecticut? Honestly, I didn't know. Connecticut. It looks yeah. like Colorado to me or like parts of Canada. Yeah, there was a very like... um it felt very desolate. I mean, obviously, because he's driving to a hospital and it's far away from where the yeah. party is. So I was kind of like, where are they? And that was part of, I think, the setup for the film in the sense that it made you feel like you were. It was like, oh, here's this like kind of cozy old school ish house in the middle of nowhere. And there's this like tense family in it. And there's all this like weird thing. Like there's an attic. There's like boxes of things and old <laughs> books and you're like okay i have to pay attention to literally everything because i feel like it's gonna make me understand what's about to happen and yeah honestly a lot of that i i that that can exhaust me from time to time where i'm just sort of like okay now what is everything a clue like what am i doing <laughs> it's kind of like how you are with heist films you're just like there's right. too much info to know um, <laughs> who's the tinker who's the tailor who's the soldier <laughs> who's the spy but you know i think i think when it when it finally happens like when you finally get to the moments of the story unraveling it is scary as shit like you're just like yeah. oh fuck like this is like really creepy um and and that's effective i mean that was that's what's that's a good horror movie to me it's something that really can freak you the fuck out so yeah this movie freaked me the fuck out i'm so sorry you watched it with your mom please apologize <laughs> on my behalf <laughs> listen it, she was actually like it wasn't as scary as i thought it was gonna be and i was like yeah <laughs> yeah you're like the real fear is the relationship with the mother and her daughter no, <laughs> Well, yeah, and to that point, though, it's it is that kind of thing where I think that I certainly felt sorry for Peter. Like, I mean, honestly, when it comes down to it, like, I think the part of the sadness of the story or the horror of the story is the idea that his relationship with his mom is so tense and so yeah. fucked up that you're just sort of like, 
how's how's it gonna play out like i don't know like especially in that dinner scene where she does like literally tell him like she just goes off and um you're like oh my god like how is he supposed to process this and how is this gonna how are they gonna exist together because honestly that was more the horror for me was that sort of the horror of people who are enduring so much pain and trauma right you know that now it's being manifested through the generations and it's kind of like they're transferring it to other family members and yeah. You know, it is that's the horror to me, is that part. I am right there with you. It is and it is, it's true. It's like he's already there's already such a fraught relationship between them because he thinks she tried to kill him. And now that he has killed his sister, yeah. how do you recover from that? There's no there's no bounce back. There's yeah. no bounce back. I mean, there back. are the scary horror movie moments for sure. Like, you know, there's like creepy shit in the background and there's attic, <laughs> attic drama, which is always creepy. But you a know, a treehouse with a red glowing window. Like, yeah, yeah there's some good creep moments here. Yeah. But I think if you like horror, if you like thrillers, if you like to be freaked the fuck out, this is a great film for you to watch. Yeah. Just you know, be be aware that if you watch it with your mother, that it might bring some questions up afterwards. <laughs> but I'm glad you picked it. Honestly, it, honestly, I don't know if I would have necessarily seen this movie if you hadn't picked it. And that's what I love about this podcast. Exactly. So, I've seen a lot of stuff I would never have watched and loved. Yep. And then the way we were. But it's okay. I loved it for its own reason. I loved it for the feelings it drummed up in me. I was like, yeah, I'm full of rage. <laughs> well, yeah. And, I, and again, like, I... I love that you had a lot to say about this movie. That's what makes it interesting is to like hear your hear your take on it. So thank you. Thank you. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Do you want to tell the folks uh, how they can get in touch with us? Oh, sure, sure, sure. So first of all, we have an email address. It is I saw what you did pod at Gmail dot com. Mm, you can also find us on our socials at I saw pod on Instagram and Twitter. We've also got merch 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 in the exactly right shop and that's at exactlyrightmedia.com. and if you want even more from us after all that we've got a whole <laughs> bunch of bonus episodes up at stitcher premium you can still use the promo code saw for a free month free month what about next week oh my god next week holy crap it's our movies next week are you ready for this the films are Muriel's Wedding from 1994 and Ghost World from 2001. Ooh, guess the theme. I'm sorry, but these are bangers and you can't get any better than that. Guess the theme. Maybe, look, we already have the title for next week's episode and it's bangers all around. It's absolute fire films. <laughs> Watch them. Thank you for listening with us. Thank you for being great people yes. to talk about movies with we love it all right see you next bye. week bye this has been an exactly right production our producer is alexis amorosi our engineer is annalise nelson our social media manager is taryn mazza our theme song is by tom Bryfogel. artwork by garrett ross our executive producers are georgia hardstark karen kilgareth and danielle kramer Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at I Saw Pod. Email us at I Saw What You Did Pod at Gmail. And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 
But you are, Blanche. You are in that chair. 